This morning we're finishing a sermon series that we've been doing over the past month about uh, the symbols of the sacraments. We've looked at the wine and the bread of communion, and today we're going to look at the water of baptism using a familiar story from the Gospel of John. We'll be reading John chapter 4, verses 7 through 30, and then 39 through 42. This is found on page 865 in your pew Bible, if you'd like to follow along with me. But before we do that, I invite you to bow your heads and join me in prayer. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we come to you now with open hearts, hopeful to hear your word. Pray by the grace of your spirit that the words we hear and the thoughts of our hearts will lead us to your will for all of us as your church and for each of us as your children. Dear God, we love you. We thank you for your love. Amen. So again, John chapter 4, beginning with verse 7. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. His disciples had gone to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir... You have no bucket, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us the well, and with his sons and his flocks drank from it? Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. And Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come back. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, You're right in saying, I have no husband, for you've had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. So what you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you say that the place where the people must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeks such as these to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And the woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming who is called Christ. When he comes, he will proclaim all things to us. Jesus said to her, I am he, the one who is speaking to you. Just then the disciples came and they were astonished that he was speaking with a woman, but no one said, what do you want or why are you speaking with her? Then the woman left her water jar and went back to the city. And she said to the people, come and see a man who's told me everything that I've ever done. He cannot be the Messiah, can he? And they left the city and were on their way to him. Many Samaritans from that city believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything that I'd ever done. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two more days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is truly the Savior of the world. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. 
So Julianne and I have started a new holiday tradition since we moved here to Tallahassee. We call it Truck Stop Christmas. It basically started a couple of years ago because our families both live in different towns and so we drive for Thanksgiving and Christmas to go and visit them. And a couple of years ago we were driving down to Orlando and we stopped at an exit 283 on I-10 and stopped at a place that many of you have told us about before called Busy Bee. Now, you have told us about Busy Bee before, when we first moved here, but we were not prepared for what Busy Bee truly is. <laughs> it's so much more than a truck stop. You go in, and of course you have the normal things that a truck stop has, all of the, the auto parts and things like that, the snacks and the drinks, but there's so much more. There's a full gift shop there with decorative soaps and, and with, with aromatherapy candles and with tailgating items for both Gator fans and Florida State fans and even clothing items that, that you can buy. And while we were there that first time, Julianne found a pair of slippers, bedroom slippers that she liked. But because I'm kind of snobby, I said, I don't know that I can buy you a pair of slippers at a truck stop. We left and headed on down the road. Julianne just never forgot about those slippers the entire Thanksgiving. And so on our way back, we made a deal. We were going to stop at Busy Bee again, and this time we would play a little game. We'd take about 10 minutes, and we would each buy each other a Christmas present at the truck stop. That first Christmas, she knew what she was getting from me, but I had no idea what I was getting from the Busy Bee. Over the past couple of years, I've got several different things from Busy Bee, but the, the tough years are those years when we go to South Carolina and we don't pass the Busy Bee. Then we have to go to another truck stop somewhere in Albany, Georgia, or in Macon, Georgia, or somewhere along those lines. Those truck stops just don't have what Busy Bee has. And so I usually end up with some Christmas present like assorted duct tape or something along those lines. It's a neat little tradition that we, we have enjoyed. It, it makes our holidays, you know, a little jollier and truly makes those long road trips a little jollier too. This morning in our passage, Jesus and his disciples are on a long road trip. And they make a pit stop at what is sort of like the uh, ancient Near Eastern truck stop of the day. A little well outside the town of Sychar. They're walking from, from the area of Judea. They've been there preaching and teaching and, and, and have sort of worn out their welcome in that first visit. Actually, over controversy over baptism, believe it or not. And so they decide to head back up to Galilee on this road trip. And before they get to Galilee, they have to go through an area that we know of called Samaria. And this is where they are in the middle of Samaria. They stop and take a little break at a well that was apparently, tradition was, says that it was, it was owned by Jacob, the, the father of all of Israel. And that they, Jesus stopped there outside of this little town while the disciples went into town to get some food. And it's there where our story begins. Jesus in the middle of the heat of the day, what, probably all alone at the, on that hot day and at the middle of the well, speaks to a woman who comes up to the well. Now, at first glance, it just seems like he asks her for a drink of water. Nothing too uh, controversial there. But when we dig a little bit deeper, we realize that Jesus really was not supposed to be talking to this woman at all. There are a lot of social boundaries. There are a lot of religious boundaries that Jesus crosses. He says a very controversial thing just by reaching out to this woman, speaking to this woman at the well, and asking her for a drink. 
For one thing, as I told you, she was a Samaritan. And we won't belabor the point. You all already know that Jews and Samaritans did not get along. They had been fighting for years. They claimed a common ancestry, but the Samaritans had, had chosen to worship God in different ways and sacrifice to God at a different place other than Jerusalem. And so the Jews thought they were unclean people, ritually unclean, and, and didn't want to... And, 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 engage with them in any way and, and, and imagine walking through Samaria to get back to your hometown in Galilee you know you're going to run into a few bad people along the way and, and here lo and behold at the well that's what happens Jesus runs into a Samaritan not only is she a Samaritan but she's a woman and, and women for rabbis Jewish rabbis like Jesus it would not have been socially acceptable, even religiously acceptable for him to speak to a woman like this. A, a rabbi of the day was supposed to keep his eyes and keep his mind on himself, to not reach out and speak to someone like this. It would have been scandalous for a rabbi to do that, and yet here that's exactly what Jesus does. And finally, of course, we see her reputation. She was not just any woman, but preachers have made lots about this woman and her reputation, having five husbands, but when I read this story about this woman, I see something a little bit different. I see a woman who has been rejected time and time and time again. There at this well, she comes probably in the middle of the day, maybe because she doesn't want to see anyone else. Maybe it's because that's the only time of day she can come where she's not held back or ridiculed by those other Samaritans around her. She's been despised and rejected, and she comes to the well to avoid other people in the middle of the day. And lo and behold, she runs into a Jewish rabbi there at her well. Now, again, the socially acceptable thing to do would be to follow the rules for them, to just ignore each other, to stay away from each other. But that's not what Jesus does. For some reason, Jesus breaks the rules, reaches out to her, and talks to her. I've always been kind of a rule follower, and I like to follow the rules and do the right things, to do the things that will, will keep me in line with what my parents and what my church and what other people want me to do. And that's what many of you might have done as well. We might have followed those rules and, and held her at arm's length, kept her out of our sight and out of our mind. And we see that happen all over our world today. As I was reading this passage this, this past week, I was thinking about an old uh, uh, song from a band called Cademan's Call. It's years and years old, back when I was a teenager. But uh, it's a song called Share the Well. And it was written years ago by this band when they had traveled to India to a small little town to play their music and do some mission work. And while they were there, there was in this town a little well right in the middle of town. I, th I may have told you about this before. It was a well right in the middle of town where everybody came to get their water. But there were a group of people who were not allowed to get water out of that well. They were called the Dalits. And that word loosely is translated to mean the broken or the scattered or the untouchables of the town. In the, in the caste system in India, the, the people in the upper caste got to come to the well first, get what they needed, and the untouchables at the bottom were not allowed to come to the well at all. They would contaminate the well, contaminate the town, just because of how, who they were born and what family they were born into. And so anytime an untouchable came to the well to get some water, people would shout, Dalit, 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 and these guards at the well would beat them back so they couldn't get that life-giving water. And these group, Cademan's Call, wrote this song called Share the Well because they realized everybody, no matter how, who you were born to, what family you came to, you have thirst, you get thirsty. 
You need water. You need that life-giving water that, that keeps you alive and gives you health and gives you strength. Before we pass too much judgment on people in, in India, just remember that it was not too long ago in this country where we were divided over things like water fountains and bathrooms and swimming pools that just because of how you looked or what family you were born to, you couldn't use the same water fountain that I used. Those were the rules, and we should follow the rules, and yet Jesus doesn't follow the rules because I think Jesus realizes that she is not that unlike him. They both came to the well thirsty. They were both thirsty, thirsty for living water. And I'm not just talking about that water that was found in the deeps, depths of, of Jacob's well. I'm talking about that water of life. They were both thirsty for that water of life that maybe is the reason why all of us come to church every day. That water of life that gives our lives something firm to stand on. Because all of us, whether we go to church or whether we live out there in the world, we have that same basic need, that same basic question to know that we're valuable, that we're worth something, that there's someone somewhere out there who loves us and cares about us just the way we are. We here come to church because we have found that love in Jesus Christ our Lord. But there are people out in the world, even if they don't come to church, they're still looking for that. They're still asking that question. What makes me worthwhile? What makes me worth anything? What makes me worth something to someone at all? Time and time again, I hear people asking those questions in their own ways. And it breaks my heart when they answer that question Maybe I'm not worth anything. Maybe I'm not valuable. Years ago, I heard a, a story from a teacher in Charlotte who told me this little story. She ran a little preschool, or I'm sorry, a little after-school program in Charlotte for, for first graders. They would come to her after school and stay with her as she took care of them until their parents came and picked them up. And It was around the holiday time, and so she took them to a little Christmas shop there in town just as a little, little field trip for these after-school kids. They were walking around the shop. She knew the shop owner. She thought she could get them in the Christmas spirit and also show them a little bit what it means to, to purchase an item and to go through the checkout line and all those kind of things. And the owner of the shop had one of those little price guns where he would beep, beep, hit the UPC code and he could tell them what the price was of the item that they brought forward. And so they bring up an ornament and he would push the gun, beep, beep, and he would see, oh, that's $8.95. And someone would bring a stocking up and he would beep, beep, hit that gun again and say, oh, that's $18. That's an expensive stocking. Well, finally, one of the kids decided, I want to know how much I cost. And so he held out his hand and they pretended to say, beep, beep, and said, oh, you're $1 billion. And then another kid laughed and said, show me how much I cost. And beep, beep, oh, you're a zillion dollars. And the plot shop, shop owner just sort of played along with them until finally one little child came up with tears in his eyes. He held up his hand and he said, oh, you're, you're billions and billions of dollars. And he just looked at this man and said, I wish I was free. Well, the teacher saw this happen. She said, I know, I've got to find out what's going on. So she, when the parents came to pick him up that afternoon, he's told, the teacher told what had happened, what he had said, the tears in his eyes, and the parents all knew too well what was going on. 
that night before, these parents were actually foster parents for this child, and they had several other children as well. And they had been arguing that night before about how they were going to pay for all the things that the kids needed during Christmas. And this little child had overheard it. He came up to them and said, please don't send me away again. He thought he was too expensive. And what they needed to remind him of was that he was valuable, that he was priceless. That's what we're all thirsty for. Someone to remind us how valuable we are, how priceless we are, that we cannot be replaced. That's what Jesus does for this woman. He reaches out to her and reminds her, you're priceless. You are loved by God and that love can never be revoked. That love can never be taken away if you'll just trust in this living water of God that springs forth forevermore. And something amazing happens to that woman when she finally accepts that this is Jesus Christ. This is the Messiah that we've been waiting for. The purpose in her life changes. She actually, in the Gospel of John, becomes the very first evangelist. Once she realizes that this living water has been offered to her, she goes back to those Samaritans, those very people who maybe had rejected her and built that reputation about her, and tells them all about Jesus Christ. So much so that Jesus comes and stays with them for two more days. All because she first realized that God offered her this water, this living water of love that would never dry up, that would never leave her alone. That's what we're called to do too. When we rest confidently in the waters of our baptism, when we rest confidently in knowing that God loves us and that there's nothing we can do to stop that, that we should be inspired to change the purpose of our lives too. To go out into that world, to cross those same boundaries, and to share with those people out there who are thirsting for that same love that we have, that God offers it to you, just like God offers it to me. I shared with you during our announcements that uh, several of us are going to go see the Mr. Rogers movie right after church today. Uh, many of you know Mr. Rogers was a Presbyterian minister who was ordained to televangelism, believe it or not. You ever thought of Mr. Rogers as a televangelist? Well, that's what he was. And he tried to show his Christian values as much as he could on PBS. And there was one particular episode, if you saw the documentary last year, that I think proves that point very well. It was in the 1960s when our country was still battling over segregation and people couldn't use the same water fountains or the same bathrooms or even swim in the same swimming pools. And Mr. Rogers decided in a very subtle way he was going to let the children who watched his show and saw his neighborhood know that if it was good enough for him, it was good enough for anybody. So he pretended it was a really hot, hot day in the neighborhood. Hot day. So he sat out on his front porch and he had a little baby pool out there and a little hose and he was cooling off his feet in front of his house because it was so hot. And then finally, Officer Clemens came by. Officer Clemens was an African-American police officer who patrolled the neighborhood and he was in his full uniform and Mr. Rogers knew he had to be hot. 
So he said, Mr. Officer Clemens, why don't you sit down with me and cool your feet in the same swimming pool that I'm cooling my feet in? And of course, Officer Clemens said, well, no, I don't have a towel. Mr. Rogers said, you just use mine. And so they sat there with the camera close up on their feet sitting in the pool. Mr. Rogers' pale white feet and Officer Clemens' thick brown feet cooling off there in the same swimming pool. Because if it was good enough for Mr. Rogers, it was good enough for him too. Jesus Christ calls us to rest confidently in the waters of our baptism. But if we do... It should change who we are. It should change how we treat other people. It should change how we treat those people in the world. And believe you and me, even though they're not sitting here in these pews, they are thirsty too. They're thirsting for that wellspring that springs up that reminds us of God's grace and God's love. They're thirsting for that fountain of joy and that fountain of hope and that fountain of grace that God has offered to you and to me. They're thirsting, wanting to know that they are loved and they are valuable. And I promise you, if it's good enough for us, then that love of God is good enough for them too. So let's go and share the well. Let that be your calling this Thanksgiving season, this Advent season, this Christmas season, and for the rest of our lives. To the glory of God. Amen. Amen. <clears throat>